Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers, the president and CEO of Best North Carolina. who has been in that role since its inception, some eight years ago, and that's Brenda Berg. And uh, we've already talked about the organization. Brenda, of course, is a, uh, I think you're a graduate of Georgetown, as I I believe I remember that. Double double graduate from Georgetown, yep. When I moved down here, I got lots of bless your hearts. Yeah, yeah, you know, you learned what bless your heart means in North Carolina. And... uh, that's that's something that's very important for out of staters to understand. When someone says "bless your heart," that means it. They mean it. Uh, Brenda, we uh, you you call have called our attention in previous times when you've been with us the importance of principals to high schools and elementary schools and how a principal can lead a school to improvement. Um, and that same principal can move from one school to the other. And guess what? The school where they move also improves. So uh, tell us a little bit more about your work in increasing the pay and the uh, opportunities for principals. Yeah, I, I'm. you'll hear me talk all the time. I'm a teacher groupie, um, but I am more so a principal groupie because great teachers want to work for great principals. And it's, it's, the, it's true anywhere, right? In any job usually in the top three, sometimes in the top five reasons for, for either going to a job or leaving a job is leadership. And uh, when when we started this work, when Bessency was first formed and I started talking to leaders around the state, I couldn't beg for a conversation. No one would talk about principals. It was always about teachers, which is fantastic. But when you talk with teachers, they're telling stories about inconsistent policies or, um, you know, not feeling respected or not getting support. And and those were issues that came to the top way before conversations about, about pay or frankly, anything else. And so we started working really first off on the principal problem. And, and frankly, it's the principal opportunity, because as you said, a great principal can immediately, really, really very, very quickly turn around a school. And uh, the first thing we discovered was that the pipeline for becoming a principal was just not, um, it it didn't make any sense. We had teachers basically nominating themselves into the principalship and paying for their own leadership training, a master's degree in school administration. And in the private sector, you wouldn't do that, right? You'd go, you'd go to your workforce, your talent, you would look for those key leaders and you would provide them with that training um, and not put that financial and time burden on them. And so the state of North Carolina in 2015 passed a law that uh, went into effect in 2017, where we have something now called the, it's now been rebranded under the Principal Fellows brand. Um, But we now provide a master's in school administration to top talent who are recruited from within their school districts to become principals and really rethought that whole pipeline, removed the financial burden from those principals. But most important, you know, there's a rigorous nominating process. The programs have every incentive to um, triage the candidates according to their quality because they, the programs themselves, get judged on the quality of their graduates. And then the students are part of cohort models they're they're following best practice and leadership training and most important they are they are getting a full year of paid residency 
um, shadowing an effective principal. So we have this incredible pipeline of principal talent here in North Carolina. We've graduated over 400 of these principal fellow candidates um, in the last couple of years. And just for context, we have about 2,600 schools in the state. That's a big sort of um, uh, core of candidates that are now coming into the pipeline. And, and they're all, um, most are still assistant principals and, and heading quickly into principalship. Um, so that's one piece of it is making sure that we're recruiting the right talent, but also preparing them in the right ways. And then as you pointed out, we also have to pay them well. So uh, just a, a year or so after we passed to help uh, work on that policy, um, North Carolina was deemed the worst state in the nation for principal pay. We were la dead last, maybe second to last, certainly last in the Southeast. And that gave us an opportunity to say, okay, we're going to put more money into principal pay, but we're going to rethink you know, how we do it. And so North Carolina is now the only state in the nation that has a model in my opinion, it can be refined and enhanced, but it's the the concept is that we're going to pay you on how hard the building is that you lead, right? That makes perfect sense. If it's a harder building to lead, we're going to pay you more. And then if you're really good at that, we're going to pay you more. Um, and so it's it's a combination of the complexity of the job and and your performance in the job. And within um, and a, a major investment was made. The legislature put $55 million into principal pay in those first three years and have continued to make substantial pay increases since then. So we're now, our principals are, are in the top three in the Southeast. It wasn't an extravagant amount of money. It was a very wise investment. And a, a research study over at NC State within just a few years found that our best principals were moving to higher needs schools and our lowest performing principals were finding other jobs. Um, it, it, it's, you know, that's what you you would hope to see. I, um, you know, I'm hoping those principals went back into teaching or maybe they went to, into administration, but we really want to make room for the best possible principal candidates to be leading our buildings. And that's the best gift you can possibly give to a teacher and certainly to those students in the building. So I, 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 again, I think this is one place where over the next few years, you're going to start hearing about how North Carolina is really leading the nation on how we recruit and prepare and support and compensate and retain our principals. Um, and I think we're only going to continue to do better. It's exciting. It's exciting work. Has the attrition of principals gone down since uh, uh, you've increased the pay and increased the opportunity? I wish I could tell you that. But would you believe me when I tell you we have no data on principal attrition, and we have never collected data as a state on principal attrition. Um, we actually have been proposing this year new language that we would start collecting that data for the first time ever, like we do for teachers. We've been collecting teacher attrition data for a very long time. Um, so no, we have we have no, unfortunately, we have no data on that. Um, and, and it's a little tricky with principals because some will come into the principalship and then go out and they'll go to central office and then they'll go back into a classroom. Um, it's not quite as linear as, you know, you're, you're teaching or you're not teaching. Um, yeah. it's, it's not quite as easy to measure. So we're working on that and, and trying to get some better data. And again, this is just a perfect example of how principals until really just the last few years have been an afterthought, um, in the policy process when they are just such an incredibly important factor. There's, uh, you know, one of my favorite schools, I won't, I won't name had just this incredible principal and they recently pulled her to their central office 
And the very first year that she was gone, the school went from exceeding growth to not. And, you know, so it goes, it goes both ways. You put a great principal in a school building um, and, and that, um, and keeping great principals in the school building is something we also need to be thinking about. Well, that's, that's a, a, a practice that business also, unfortunately, has from time to time. Yeah. Uh, some companies take their very best salespeople and make them sales managers. Right? Because they're a great salesperson does not necessarily mean they're a great sales manager. Uh, and so from time to time, I guess we hurt ourselves by promoting from within to what appears to be a better job right. and a better use of the talent. But in fact, it's it's not an upgrade for either the person or the uh, the institution. Well, and this is also what I love about advanced teaching roles. So it, traditionally, it's been very binary. To your point, you're either a teacher or you're a school leader. And those are really your, can you go, you could go to central office, you could be an instructional coach. There are these kind of, you can move different directions. But generally speaking, those are your two options. And so now we've created advanced teaching roles, and that's even along a spectrum. But roughly speaking, there are two different new new positions that we're creating for teachers not removing them from the classroom, not adding more layers of bureaucracy, but just shifting the way we think about that one teacher, one classroom concept, giving teachers an opportunity who do have an aptitude for leading others to lead a team of teachers. So really removing those barriers, opening the doors between classrooms and having one teacher with six or eight direct reports and all of the students that they work with all working together. Um, that's one category of, of advanced teaching roles. And those teachers are earning up to $20,000 more without leaving the classroom. To your point about, you know, private industry has has learned this mistake along the way too, right? So you, and, and for those who are just really great teachers and just want to do more, but they don't want to lead adults, there's something called extended impact teaching, uh, where you can earn, say, $5,000 more taking on more students, taking on a harder classroom, but not necessarily, to your point, not everyone is is wanting to lead adults if you're just really, really good at teaching students. But currently, what we do when we have a great teacher is one of two things. The principal will either overload them to death, right? You're really great. I'm just going to keep giving you more kids and never being able to compensate them more because our compensation schedule doesn't allow it. Or understaff, under um, utilizing them, right? My gift to you, because you're a great teacher, is instead of 25 students, I'm giving you 15. And I'm depriving 10 kids of having access to you. So at those two approaches are, are pretty much the norm in our school system. And if we've created this new model called advanced teaching roles, where a school principal can now promote teachers into paid roles to either take on, you know, more responsibility or take on a leadership role without having to leave teaching. And that's pretty exciting. And what we're finding from that is not just that those teachers who are taking on those roles are staying, that retention is increasing, but the teachers they're working with are getting better and their retention is getting higher as well. So it's having this, you know, one plus one equals three kind of effect within the school buildings. So we're really excited about that. And that's part of the recommendations that are in our new report as well. What are you doing to uh, help school systems maintain young teachers who might be looking at leaving the teaching profession for another profession? Yeah, so the highest retention problem in our school system is in those early years. 
And um, the the biggest reasons we hear pay is always important, but it's not usually in the top five. Leadership is usually very important. But importantly, it's it's getting the kind of on-the-job embedded support that other industries are much better at providing. Um, when you walk into a company um, in, in, in the private sector or in other public sector jobs, you'll usually have a mentor, you'll have somebody who's looking over your shoulder for a while, you know, that you get the lightest workload, you don't get the biggest account to work on. Um, and in education, we do exactly the opposite. We're throwing these brand new teachers into the deep end of the pool. We're giving them a harder classroom because we're giving our, our better teachers a lighter load as their gift and compensation. Um, we really do it backwards. So advanced teaching roles, improved um, teacher compensation, this new licensure strategy that's being proposed in the state called Pathways to Excellence for Teaching Professionals categorizes those beginning teachers as license one, two, or three, and provides them with intentional support from an advanced roles teacher and specific time that they're allotted that a, 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 another um, professional is, is working with them in the classroom. And that is so far our single best tool for improving retention for beginning teachers. You know, everybody wants to be really good at their job. <laughs> and, and the people who are leaving the teaching profession are, are not as high performing as their peers. And it's not because we're getting rid of the bad teachers. That's sort of a way to look at it. It's because we're losing the teachers who are not being supported to be great teachers. And so we really need to kind of reframe that thinking about who's leaving the profession and what we need to do to support them. And you, you've got it right. We have to work with those beginning teachers. You said we had 2,600 schools uh, across the state. How many teachers do we actually have in North Carolina in the public school system? We've or do you a, have a number? Yeah, of course I have that number. <laughs> Go to our facts and figures guide. It's 101,000 teachers between the traditional uh, traditional and charter schools in the state of North Carolina. That's a, that's a big number. And yes. uh, so you're always going to have lots of problems and challenges. We've got one more segment with Brenda Berg, who is the uh, president of Best NC. And we want to talk about the role of the parent and the relationship between the teacher and the parent, and the parent's responsibilities in this role of educating our youngsters. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. 
When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers, our final segment for this week. Our guest is Brenda Berg, who is uh, our uh, expert on what's uh, happening in the field of education and how we in North Carolina are working with business leaders uh, to improve it. It's interesting how important business leaders think the education system is to the economic growth in North Carolina. And uh, so they take a vital role in insisting uh, that our General Assembly and our other leaders on the county level uh, do the very best they can and provide them with the very best. But there's another group of people that are vitally concerned with all this, and that's the parents. And Brenda, I go back to <laughs> the dark ages. When I was in school, the first month of September, every homeroom teacher would visit in the home of the parents of the students. Now that's impossible today, but it was uh, a very good way for the parent and the teacher to have a relationship right. and um, a, a personal relationship. And of course, then that carried over to a more active PTA, Parent Teachers Association or PTO, Parent Teachers Organization. So let's talk a little bit about the role of the parents and the and the relationship between what would be ideal to have as a relationship between teachers and parents. Yeah, uh, that's so important. I always talk about how teachers are the most important in-school factor for a student's success. And of course, the parents are the number one factor of all. And and it's, you know, it. it also tracks back to whether or not the parents went to college and whether they have a stable income and all of these other factors. But parents' involvement with encouraging their students to take the most rigorous classes that they can and get their homework done on time. The parents play, you know, a vital role. Um, and they can't really do that unless they have trust, you know, that they trust that what's happening in the building is working for their child. And I, I love your example of teachers coming to visit families and we still hear of that. Um, sometimes it's virtual and sometimes actually in person. We had a, a principal during COVID who hand delivered graduation signs to every house in their community uh, for their graduating seniors. So there's, and, and it's those buildings where you have a, a strong relationship between the principal and the teachers and the parents where you're not facing the sort of I hate to use the word culture wars, but the, the culture wars that we're hearing today where there's this tension sometimes between parents and schools because there's transparency and there's trust and, and there's a feeling of being, you know, welcomed and being part of the solution. And, you know, it's, it, there's, I, um, there are tools and there's, there are better ways to do it. And I think that for, that's a big part of why we've been so focused on the Principal Fellows Program and making sure that from the very beginning, we are recruiting our future school leaders 
to have that kind of mindset that parents are part of the solution. They're not part of the problem. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm glad you raised that point. I'd love to see more, at least virtual home visits between parents and, and teachers. And there's also a level, I think that we're teacher parents, all of us have been to school, right? And we have children in school and grandchildren in school, and we all have an opinion about how school should run, but there is very specific pedagogy. This is a profession. And I can go to my doctor and I can Google my symptoms and say, hey, I think I have, you know, this thing. But in the end, he's he or she are the medical professional. Um, and so finding that balance between advocating for your children and having an opinion about education and then also having teachers and principals who are communicating and, and building that trust that they also have some, you know, really important background in how how do you do that that learning? How do students learn in the best way? And and sometimes it's, you know, tough love and sometimes it's about discipline. And a lot of times it's about um, what we call pedagogy. Um, how do you teach it the right way? So finding that balance um, in a in a world where everybody feels like we're all an expert is, is a is a tricky one. And I think one of the underlying things that uh, all parents are concerned about is safety in the schools. And of course, this is uh, not a brand new thing, but it is something that has occurred more and more uh, as far as uh, public information. We have some, some uh, very tragic things that have happened in schools and teachers and safety officers are put under a lot of strain that uh, we didn't have maybe 30 years ago as much of a problem as we have today. Where does that fit in the picture? Yeah, you know, I I wish we had a a, a magic wand to wave. I, I I think it's been exacerbated by COVID as well. So we've had these issues with more, as you've seen, gun violence. People bring guns to school in a in a way that other than just having a you know a hunting a hunting rifle in your truck, it's people are it's 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 worrisome and it makes parents very nervous. Um, it makes the situation entirely different for for teachers and principals. And it's not just that, but it's also just disruptions within the classroom. I think we we think about sort of all these um, shooter drills and and that on one end of the spectrum. but the the other end is just one student in the classroom being disruptive because they're they're not learning at home how to how to sit still or how to 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 behave in the classroom and where is that relationship and and at what point do you decide that that student should stay in the classroom versus be pulled out and if you pull them out where do they go there's some really important conversations being had um, at the legislature and with the department of public instruction thinking through you know how can we handle these situations better to the best benefit to every student, right? Is it, I don't think it's the right answer to pull a student out who's disrupting the classroom and then send them home, right? You're, you're only making the problem worse for that child, but at the same time, you have the other students in the classroom to consider. So there's some important conversations that I'm frankly not the expert on, but paying close attention to because it does make or break uh, the experience of of everyone within the school building. You pointed out that a good principal, there's a definite correlation between uh, a good principal and a good school. What about PTO or parent-teacher organizations? Is there a correlation between where the parent-teacher organization is uh, very strong in a, high, uh, in a school uh, versus one that's not? 
Well, there's correlation, but not necessarily causation. I, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. I was a PTA parent. I was a six-time treasurer for my PTA. And I think there's an incredibly important role. But the research is actually clear that other kinds of engagement for parents, that sort of daily engagement with their with their child's homework and ensuring that they're getting to school on time and is is far more important. In fact, some study, this has been a long time since I've seen this, but show that PTA, the kids of PTA parents actually do worse than other kids. So it's it's the PTAs play an important role for the school. Don't get me wrong. My kids went to a Title I school. Our PTA raised money so that every student could go on field trips and do um, have arts programs and but on a you know on a on an average six million dollar operating budget for any given school in North Carolina raising a couple thousand dollars is is really pennies right in uh, drop in the bucket versus parents who are coming in and providing you know reading time or giving um, support to teachers or sitting down with their own children there's just so much that parents can do that's um, really one-on-one -on -one support for their kids. And it's incredibly important and, and impactful. We started the program off talking about your teacher pay report. Uh, and I want to go back to that. You've got about four minutes to uh, summarize and introduce some additional facts on that and also tell people how they can read that report. Right. I'm very excited about this report. I, I, I don't think there's ever been quite this depth of an analysis of teacher pay done in North Carolina, and honestly, perhaps across the country, we had some of the best economists and education advisors in the country working on this with us and, and advising on it. But we, what we found was interesting. I think we, we came into it with things like, we need to look at educator preparation and enrollment, and we need to look at average teacher pay compared to surrounding states. What we learned along the way is that we're looking in the wrong places. So enrollment in ed prep programs is actually correlated with the economy. Um, in fact, last two years, we saw a 40% increase in enrollment in ed prep programs, even though we know that we have a teacher hiring crisis. Um, we also, as we looked at average teacher pay, we were shocked that when you look at average teacher pay, Average pay in North Carolina is about 10% above the living wage for a family of four with two incomes. Sounds about right. But then when we actually looked at the way teachers fall on the teacher pay schedule, and you can find this in our report, um, and about a third of our teachers in any given point in time are living below a living wage for a family of four during those critical years around 30 to 40 when you're starting to, to grow and have a family. So starting with those basic points that we really hadn't as a as a state and frankly as a nation really thought about how do we fix this fundamentally structurally flawed um, step and lane schedule where it takes 15 years. Now it used to take 25. There was a big investment in 2014 to 2018 post Great Recession to to pull the pay schedule forward. Um, from 25 years to 15, but we would we would offer it needs to come forward to more like five, five years. So when you become fully licensed, that you're able to support a family. So that's one of the major points that we really were um, excited to to see because it, it helped explain the experience and why we're losing teachers, um, you know, early in, in their career. The other major point that we found that was really interesting is we knew that 
the obviously it's a female dominated workforce. 80% of our teachers are female and it's been that way for 50 plus years. And our report kind of goes through that whole history of why. But part of it is that pay women with bachelor's degrees are paid less than men on average. And so you're pulling from a pool where teacher pay was an appealing pay level. We were able to plot out over 40 years of women's bachelor's degree pay compared with teacher pay and found that over the last few years, they flipped. So teacher pay is now below average women's pay. So you have to really step back and think we are we are no longer able to sort of rely on a workforce where this is their best possible career opportunity, where when we were relying on a workforce where women were not the breadwinners in their home, where their husband was able to support their family with their income. And um, so we have to really rethink like, who is the what pool of talent are we trying to appeal to? And I would say that we're trying to appeal to the whole talent within the state of North Carolina. And to do that, we really have to rethink the compensation model so people can find that report on our website under our policy briefs, which is bestnc.org forward slash policy briefs, or you can find it under our resources, which is also where they can find our facts and figures page. Perfect timing. Thank you so much for so many interesting insights. Our guest has been Brenda Berg, president of C and CEO of Best North Carolina. And uh, uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Uh, Jason Kong has produced our program, and he promises another interesting guest next week on the same group of stations. And so until next week, same time, same station, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.